Let's bow for a word of prayer. You can take your scriptures and turn over to John chapter 1, and we're going to get to that in just a second. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, what an honor to be here and to think of what's uh, going on here on the west side. So, Lord, I just pray that in everything that we do, that uh, we bring glory to you. We thank you for the Yes to Love story. Thank you for Larry Sparks. Uh, just think about that. Just um, making, driving a school bus. When we get behind school buses, think how many times we're like, oh, I wouldn't want that job. And think about a guy that took that job and turned it into a remarkable ministry. Uh, we thank you for Larry's heart, and we thank you for your heart. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So we've been talking about uh, steps with Jesus. And what that simply means is that, again, if you were one of those disciples and you're following Jesus day in and day out, uh, what were the lessons they learned? Uh, because if it mattered to Jesus, absolutely it has to matter to us. Now, these next two weeks are going to be a little bit different uh, because what we're going to try to do in these next two weeks is to kind of frame the strategy of Jesus, and it worked then, guess what? It'll work today. And so we're going to dive right in. So John chapter 1, uh, we're going to start with verse uh, 38, and then let me work our way to, through this. Uh, Jesus had been baptized. Uh, there were those that were beginning to catch on that there was something different about Jesus. And uh, people started following him. So in verse 38, it says, they said, that is the early disciples, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he said, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying. They spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour, which is about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two, and he heard what John had said after they'd followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon, and he told him, we have found the Messiah, that is Christ Jesus. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, are you Simon, son of John? You'll be called Cephas, which means what? Peter. And the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. Uh, there is uh, a guy that uh, over the last seven months, I've had a chance. Uh, once a month, there's a team of us uh, that go down to Louisville, and uh, his name is Dan Spader. I have never been in the presence of uh, another person who not only knows more about Jesus Christ. He's been to the Holy Land somewhere between 40 and 50 times. And he just, he just lives and breathes Jesus. And I just, uh, I can't even tell you what it's meant to me these last seven months. And he's just always challenging us as a class. Like, uh, don't, just, don't just learn what Jesus said, but why don't you start implementing what Jesus did? So this is his observation. I thought it was very interesting. He has read countless books in the life of Christ, and he said all the books that he has read written about Jesus, and by the way, if you go on Amazon, there's over 300,000 books about Jesus, okay? A lot of people write a lot about their opinions with Jesus. He said 95% of all the books written are about the words of Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. It's important to know the words, but he said only 5% focus on his method and his model. In other words, people know about what uh, Jesus said, the Sermon on the Mount and his lessons. But he said, what if they looked at his life and said, would that strategy work? In other words, if we invested in others' lives the way Jesus did, would that work today in the church? 
Would it work? Here we are in 2017. And the answer is absolutely, it would work. Why? Because it's Jesus, okay? You're not going to beat Jesus, okay? So it's important for us to step back and say, so what really mattered to Jesus in this strategy of reaching a world for Christ? Well, he invested in a few. He invested in a few. He believed in people. Uh, let me challenge you to try something uh, in the next few months. And, and I'm telling you what, it's a pretty neat thing. Uh, we used to have a Bible study at the Cloverleaf Restaurant, and we did that for a couple years, and it was, it was great. And we, we set out to, to talk to people and have spiritual conversations. So if you had a friend who didn't want to go to church, they would show up at the Cloverleaf, and we would have a period every week we'd say, you can ask anything you want. We may not have an answer, but uh, we'll talk about it. And I tell you, I had, I've learned so much just from those two years. And we built a great relationship with the folks at the Cloverleaf. It was, it, was, it was awesome. Now, when we did that, one of the things, and I don't even know uh, where I got the idea. We were looking at the word faith. So I said, hey, in about a month or so, we're going to have a meal. Now, I want you to invite a very special person to the meal. And they're like, oh, who do you want me to invite? I said, I want you to invite somebody in your life who believed in you, who had faith in you. Maybe somebody who had faith in you and nobody else did. And let's just get out of the way and see what happens. So we're going to call it an appreciation meal, a faith feast, whatever you want to call it. But I said, let's just see what happens. Well, that night, it was so neat to see everybody, the regulars that had been coming, and they each brought a friend. And the friend basically is someone who had faith in them. And I'll just tell you straight up, we went around that table. There was not a dry eye. Uh, people saying, um, thank you. I just want to publicly say to this group, thank you because you had faith in me. Uh, I remember the, the couple that I'd brought years ago, I was at Sherwood Oaks, and uh, went through a really hard time, went through a season that was just tough as nails, and there was a, a couple that actually just uh, stood in the gap for me, said, I believe in you, you know, uh, you do some ridiculous things, and, but trust me, we love you, you know, and I, they had never heard me say thank you, and I, it was so neat to say, hey, I just want to thank you because you had faith in me, when honestly, I thought a lot of people didn't have faith in me. Don't we all need those people in our life? We need to be those kind of people. We need to be kind of people that put our faith, when nobody else believes in others, to say, hey, maybe nobody else believes in you, but I want you to know something. I have faith in you. That's what Jesus did. If you look at those disciples, seriously, do you think if you were going to change the world, you'd start with those guys? I mean, if you met Peter and hung out with him for about an hour, do you think you'd think, I think this guy's going to change the world? You'd probably think, this guy is going to get in a lot of fights. This guy is nothing but trouble. And yet Jesus saw something in them. Thomas Kempis said this, Without the way, there is no going. And without the truth, there is no knowing. And without life, there is no living. How do we live life to the fullest? How do we live with purpose? How do we live pursuing truth? How do we live life like today is the last day of our life? Well, we learn to walk like Jesus, and we learn to walk with him and just like him. We invest in people. So I'm going to be, uh, in these next two weeks, we're going to focus on four chairs. And today's, uh, we're going to call this Chair One and Chair Two. This comes out, of, I mentioned this guy, his name's Dan Spader, and he wrote a book called Four Chair Discipling. And basically he said, what every church should do is just step back and say, what are our priorities? And as people grow spiritually, what does that even look like? 
And so the way that he broke it down, we're going to get into. And so we're going to get into chair one, chair two. Next week, we're going to get into chairs three and four. And hopefully at the end of these next two weeks, we'll see, wow, Jesus really did have a strategy to change the world. Could he change the world through a church that meets at an AMVAP building with a disco ball and two bars? Yeah, I think he can. I think he can. And he's already beginning to do that because if he's changed anybody's world in these last two years, he's beginning to change the world. So let's talk about what this looks like. Chair one, if you notice there in John chapter one, right there in verse 39, these, these guys were kind of leaning in and they wanted to know about Jesus and what was the very first thing Jesus said, come and see. So they're like, hey, we'd like to get to know you. And then what did Jesus say? Why don't you come spend some time with me? Now, I don't think they thought that was even a possibility. Because remember, they said straight up, not only is this guy different, they said he may be the Messiah. I mean, he may be the Messiah. Um, If I throw out a number, that's a basketball number, I want you to tell me who you think it is. 23. Wow. Okay. Michael Jordan. Everybody would know that. Now, imagine... Michael Jordan in his prime, and imagine if you're a couple of kids and you walked up to him and said, you know, Michael Jordan, would you sign my autograph? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, would you teach me how to play basketball? Yeah, why don't you come hang with me as long as you want? What would those kids do? They would leave their parents. You know what I'm saying? They would sign. What do you need? You know what? They do whatever it takes because they're going to follow him. And here's what's interesting. In those days, that was a big deal. But when Jesus said, I want you to just come as you are, Jesus didn't say, now, I need you to fill out this job application. We're going to run a security check. Uh, We got some things. I need a background check. And uh, I'll get, here's a key. I'll get back to you. You know? No, Jesus said, oh, you want to hang with me? That's great. Let's go. Come and see. Just come check this out. So important. When we began here on the west side, there were two things we kept saying over and over. And I'm going to flip this back over to you and ask you why this is important. One thing we said was, you cannot come and sit, you have to serve. I mean, you heard that a time or two. Okay. Yeah, we said that a few times. Okay. And another one was, come as you are. Now, let me just ask you, why is that important for a church to say, come as you are? Anyone? There's not a wrong answer. Hmm? You're comfortable. What's another reason come as you are is a big deal? Yeah, you're inviting a guest, okay? How many have ever invited someone, say, to church, and they ask you, how should I dress? Have you ever had that? Now, back in the day, that actually was a legitimate question. You won't believe this until I came back to Sherwood Oaks. Are you ready for this? I wore a tie every Sunday. I have, I'll even bring you a picture sometime. I actually used to wear a tie, and I loved it. It was great. You know, being in youth ministry and wearing a tie and a suit... It just fit me so well. I'm being very sarcastic, and sarcasm is not a spiritual gift. But if you look at this whole idea of come as you are, think about that as you're reaching out to friends, and they're spiritually curious, and they're poking around saying, what church do you go to? You really want to be able to say, it's a place where you can come as you are. I don't just mean come as you are as far as you can wear jeans or whatever. I mean it's really come as you are that you can have a cup of coffee, that you can grab a donut. Just come as you are. It's not like you have to get your act together. Matter of fact, have you ever had folks you talk to them and say, I really want to go to church sometime, but I've got to get my act together? And I want to say, nobody in that church has their act together. 
including the guy that speaks up. For, I mean, none of us have our act together. That's what I loved about Jesus. When Jesus came to earth, he was so intentional about developing relationships, not religion. Now think about that. It's all about relationships. It's not about religion. Jesus didn't say, if you want to hang with me, I got 17 rules you've got to follow. I got a little booklet you need to read. No, 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 no. Immediately, why don't you just spend time with me? It's all about relationships. Luke 19.10 says, Jesus came to seek and save the what? Lost. Lost. If you don't know Christ, the Bible says you're lost. Now, what does that even mean? You're lost. That's not something you share with somebody at work, is it? That's not a good way to invite them to church. Hey, I've been thinking about you. You're lost. Okay. It's not a good way to start. Let me just say that. But here's how... This is what's helped me to think about lost spiritually, is I want you to think what you go through when you're lost physically, okay? I'm experienced at this. Trust me. I've been lost, and some of you have probably been lost. Here's the first one is you can be lost and actually have fun at it. Am I right about that? If you hang out with people long enough and they start telling a you can't believe how lost I got story, it almost is always a hilarious story. I mean, you can be extremely, before, G, how many of you remember life before Google Maps and GPS? Do you remember that? Good times. And I tell you, when, I remember being in youth ministry and kids would like draw on a napkin how to get to their house because I worked with kids out in the country. There were times I didn't get lost. There were times I wondered, am I even in the right state? I mean, like, what is going on? You know, we can all relate to what it's like to be with somebody and be lost. And it is hilarious. Now, here's why I say that. Sometimes people uh, look at people in the church, and they think they are the weirdest, most serious people I've ever seen. And then sometimes people in the church look outside these church walls, and I go, I want you to look at these folks. They are miserable because they don't know Jesus. Guess what? They're not miserable. You know why? They don't even know they're lost. You know why I know that? I could talk to each one of you, and each one of you would have a story just like that. Man, I, I thought I was just having a blast with my life, and then one day I started to realize, boy, there's some consequences for the decisions I've made. Now, they'll also tell you, but until I realized that, I actually had some fun along the way. There's a reason why Satan uh, does pretty well with stuff that is fun. Okay? Second thing about being lost is you can fake it. Now, here's what I mean. Um, uh, more than once in our lives, my wife and I have been driving, and um, we've We've been lost, and it's usually Marie's fault, and, and we'll have a very nice, polite discussion. Oh, dear, do you think we've, we've got lost? Yes, dear, I think we have got lost, um, and I think we're going to be late, but honestly, it's no big deal. This is fun. It kind of goes like that. So, and then invariably, and I've learned, I'm so much better about this now, but I'm a guy, so what does a guy not do? That's terrible grammar. What? You're not going to ask for directions. You ever have a guy even yell at the Google Maps? You're wrong! Okay, come on. You know what I mean? Guys don't want to stop. But have you noticed you've had this exchange with this uh, person in the car, and it's, it can get heated. Now, I know none of you have had a heated discussion with your husband or wife. But anyway, it gets heated. You stop the car, and I go and ask directions. Within 30 seconds, I can change my tone of voice. I can, I can go and, excuse me. Can you tell me how to get to the funeral home? I've seemed to got lost. Oh, yeah. 
They'll draw. Thank you. I really appreciate that. 30 seconds later, I was close. You were wrong. You know, then we go back. And, okay. You can fake it when you're lost. Now, here's the deal. You may have friends and you think, man, they don't seem like they're spiritually interested in anything. Guess what? People can play a pretty good game. Don't be surprised if you have friends and spiritually they really are searching. Here's the other thing about getting lost. When you're lost, it can be fun at the beginning, but if you wander too far, you can actually get yourself in some really dangerous situations. You really can. I read this years ago. Boy, it's one of these stories that really stuck with me. Uh, uh, great author on counseling and uh, uh, relationships. His name is John Trent. John Trent actually was here back uh, in the fall. And uh, this is what John Trent shared when he was a kid in Arizona. He said, I was out walking around one day, and, and uh, my uh, mom said, make sure you're home. I used to hear this. Make sure you're home before dark, you know. And so my mom's rule was when the streetlights come on, you come in. So I, I grew up with that. So that, that's the same rule that he had. And he was out wandering around, and he was on his way home. And he looked, and there was this, this area, kind of a vacant area, and it had no trespassing. And he was in, like, junior high, and he thought, I get so tired of it. What, what's, what is, honestly, what's the big deal if, if I just wander off into that area? I mean, it's kind of a dumb sign. It's an old sign. Nobody's ever around here. There's something really cool on the other side of that sign. How many of you would have gone into that territory? Am I the only one? Raise your hand, sinners. Okay, yeah. Okay. All of us, not all of us, but there's some of us that have that curiosity, like, I know it says no trespassing, but, you know, maybe that's French for go ahead and go in there. You know, you're just, you're justifying. And so he decided, I'm just going to go in there. So he, he looked, and it was kind of a neat area. He went farther in, and he saw some boulders and stuff. He's climbing around. And uh, it's about an hour or so till it gets dark. And he thought, I should probably head home. And he turned around, and he, uh, he heard something. And in Arizona, they hear this a lot. It was a rattle. And he looked around, and he was like, there is rattlesnakes all over. And he was paralyzed, like, I don't even know what I'm going to do. So he stood there, and uh, he said, I didn't even know if I believed in God at the time, but I prayed. And somebody on the home front put the pieces together. As it was getting closer to dark, like, he should be home. They know the route that he takes. They walked out. They saw the no trespassing sign. They're like, you don't think he would. And they yelled out, and they could hear him yell back. And they ran to him. They said, okay, this is going to be the most terrorizing few minutes of your life, but you've got to pick up a large stick right now, and you're going to take one agonizing step after another. And if you have to... You either flip the snake away or you just got, but you don't startle them right now. And he said, one just terrorizing step after another, I finally got to where I could run. And he said, boy, that no trespassing sign took on a whole nother dimension. That's what happens spiritually when you run from God. You'll hit a point where you wake up and go, oh, my land. And here's the question. How did I end up here? And how did I end up here? And here's what I love. That's when Jesus intervenes. Now, this is man's nature. We are wanderers. You look at the Old Testament, how the Israelites wandered for 40 years. Back in the 60s and 70s, I'm going to show my age, but how many remember this phrase? Uh, somebody would be off doing some crazy stuff, and they go, man, I am just trying to find myself. Remember that phrase? 
And you know what's awesome when you, you finally come to Jesus Christ? It isn't about finding yourself. What is it? It's about losing yourself. You start with Christ. See, all of us go through these seasons. So the answer is, how in the world, when somebody is in this area of their life, which I would call this come and see time, they're spiritually curious, what in the world can the church do? And we're all the church. Okay, how, do, how can the church be effective? Well, I married a farmer's daughter, okay? Uh, I grew up in a small town. Uh, I ministered in a farming community. So let me just share a farming principle that I guarantee those of you that garden, those of you that have come from farming backgrounds, you totally understand. It's in Isaiah 28. In Isaiah 28, it lays out this whole idea of the first thing every farmer does is they prepare the ground. They prepare the ground. And what the church is called to do is to prepare the ground for those that are spiritually curious. Now, how do you do that? You create an atmosphere of love. You do everything you can to make people feel welcome. You make, do everything you can to make people feel as if they're not being judged. You cultivate an atmosphere of love. But the hard thing is, is when we are individually trying to help people searching for God, I want you to think about the hard ground in your life. We constantly have to keep striving to grow in Christ because guess what? People are listening and people are watching. And then what? You plant. Uh, no farmer is ever going to have a great crop if he doesn't plant the seed, and so we are in the seed business. We do everything that we can to help people who are spiritually curious. And here's one thing I share with people all the time. Just pray for a spiritual conversation. Wake up every day and say, Lord, if it's your will today... I just pray that I could have a spiritual conversation. And if I do, I just pray that, that I have some wisdom in that. And don't be surprised if all of a sudden you're going to start having some spiritual conversations. And then here's the big one, is you allow God to do what God does, and you never give up on people. And you celebrate like crazy when somebody comes to Jesus Christ. Sometimes we take that for granted, and we need to realize the power of that. Now, what do I mean when I say never give up? What I mean by that is simply this. If you right now were to take out a piece of paper and write four or five people that you would love to see come to Jesus Christ, my guess is there would be somebody on that list that you'd say is what I would call a spiritual long shot. In other words, you go, I'm trying to picture this person sitting by me in church. And then you're like, I can't even picture this person. But you don't ever give up on them. You know why? Some of you in this room was a spiritual long shot on somebody's list. You know that, don't you? Some of you in this room, there was a point in your life you were so far from God, and sometimes you'll sit and cry in church. You know why? Because you look back and you think, I cannot believe how far I've come, and I'm sitting here in church. The very group of people that I made fun of all those years, now I'm one of them. The very thing I said I would never do, I'm doing. That's what God does. Don't ever, ever give up. Some of you have friends and family right now, and you're thinking, oh, if they could just come to Jesus Christ, do not stop praying. Do not stop having hope. You just never know what God can do. And it all started back with those early disciples, and they asked the question, Jesus, what do I need to do? And he just said, why don't you come and see? Just come and see. And then chair number two, this is a big one, is after they uh, followed Jesus for a short time, then Jesus in verse 43 
he, he amped it up a little bit. He said, okay, now that you're curious, I want you to follow me. Now, let me just say right now, that's a pretty big deal. That's when somebody says, I've accepted Jesus Christ. I'm in. Matter of fact, I read this bumper sticker the other day. It says, if you're following me, you're lost. But here's what Jesus said. If you're going to follow me, I'm going to change your life. There's a great story in John chapter 2. If you just look right across from John 1 there in your Bibles, John chapter 2. And it's a story of the verse miracle. Jesus changes the water into wine. And I want you to just pick it up in verse 7. It says, Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some of it and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water, which had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from. Those of servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best for last. This is the first of the miraculous signs that Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. Thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Now, here's where it really gets interesting. This is where most people stop and most preachers preach because it's a, it's a great opportunity to talk about the miracle of Jesus, reaching out to somebody. Honestly, this was no profound miracle. This was just a guy that was embarrassed. And don't you love his mother? It's like, hey, Jesus. You know, and my guess is this is somebody who is a close friend. They were invited, a close friend or relative. And so I think it was like, you know, what do you think? I love that. I love that. But look at verse 12. After they went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and disciples, there they stayed for a few days. I want you to see what's happening. Jesus' immediate family and his mom are there. And these disciples, there's five at this time, they're following Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus does something pretty amazing. He said, you know, you've been really curious, but now I really want you to follow me. Now, this little journey that he took to Capernaum, 17 miles. What would you do and talk about if you got to walk 17 miles with Jesus? And then after the 17 miles, what did he do? He spent a few days with them. What do you think they talked about? I think I've got a pretty good idea. Jesus, um, let's talk about the wine. How did that happen? And they're trying to piece this together. Don't you think behind the scenes they're like, did you see that? I saw it. Did you taste it? I t okay, I'm just saying, I think, no, this is not the Son of God. Seriously, do you think he's the Son of God? I mean, you can imagine the conversation. And what did Jesus say? Just spend time with me. Once again, what did Jesus teach us? It's all about relationships. Think of the memorable walks you've had with people, long walks, times that you just talk and you share life, and the time just flies by. I was just thinking this week, I'm like, uh, Lord, help me to remember, and I'm, I start thinking about long walks with my buddies, and I'm like, man, I remember those walks. I mean, I really do. I just remember these long, crazy journeys that you go on when you were a kid, and the conversations that we had. And I think that's exactly how Jesus wants us to live our lives. He wants that kind of relationship with us. Matter of fact, at the beginning, when they said rabbi, uh, there was a phrase, uh, Jeff had mentioned the Pharisees, and it was the dust of the rabbi. In other words, you would follow so closely, you could actually hear every word that the rabbi said. So let me share with you relationally what we want to do here on the West Side, a couple things. Number one is, if you're not in a life group, 
in these next few weeks, we're going to give you more information of ways that you can get in a life group or start a life group because community is critical. Uh, we don't have the type of building where we can have a uh, Sunday school class for all the adults, so we're trying to find ways to get people connected. We have 15 life groups right now. We'd love to start some new ones. The other one that I mentioned was this, it's called Pizza with the Pastor, but just an opportunity for us to get to know each other as a community. How do we grow in Christ? I just want to close with this, is when somebody is starting their walk in Christ, what do we need to do as a church, okay? Um, how many here, this is a loaded question, how many here like babies? Raise your hand. Yeah. If you say no, that's like, really? Okay. Uh, there's just something about, uh, I just love to see moms with newborns and the way that they hold my, I just think back, Marie and our kids, and, and there's just something about babies and the process. And so you all understand, all the parents and grandparents, even if you don't have kids, you've watched this, you've observed this, there are things about every baby. Uh, I don't know if you're weird like we were, but when our kids took their first steps, that was a big deal. Do you remember that? You know, you'd be like, oh, my, and you memorize they did it in so many months because you're not bragging, but you're bragging, you know. Is it okay? I don't know about you. My kid started walking. I don't know. He's two months old. Is that good? You know, we, we throw that out there. You know, he's playing catch. I gave him a chainsaw. I mean, it's just, we love to brag on our kid. Okay. But isn't it important when somebody makes a decision for Christ right away that we celebrate that they're taking their first steps, but we help them as they take their first steps. And we, we celebrate when they feed themselves. Can we be honest about babies? They're gross. Okay, when you strap them in and they look at the food and they got it all over their face and at first it's real cute and then, you know, when they're like 14, it gets annoying. You know, so it's that, they got all this stuff. But it's a celebration again when they learn how to what? Feed themselves. That's a big deal. Now here's where I think, and I'm just talking in general, I think what a church really needs to be good at is teaching people to feed themselves. Because if you come to church and your only meal is Sunday morning, are you kidding me? Seriously, you're never going to grow. You're never going to grow. If you go through this routine, I come to church, I sit in the same chair, I shut my Bible, a week later I pick it up, I go to No, 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 you're not growing in Christ. And you're just putting in time. This, this is actually something that happened at Sherwood Oaks uh, a few years ago, and I don't remember why we, what we called it, but I think it was something like, uh, hey, see what's going on with the kids? Uh, we challenge you to just walk around the building and see some of the things going on. So we had somebody who had been coming to church. I'm not talking one or two years. They've been coming to Sherwood Oaks for de decades, probably 20 years, and they said, we were so embarrassed. And so what's so embarrassed? They said, we didn't even know there was a youth area at the church. We had no idea. We get out of the car. We go sit in the same pew. We walk. We do the same exact thing every Sunday. We didn't have any idea that they even did stuff for the kids. We didn't read in the bulletin because it didn't apply to us. And they said, we think maybe that was wrong. And I'm like, oh, you think? You know? And guess what? We do the same thing. We can go through the motions. We need to learn how to feed ourselves. And then isn't it amazing when they start talking? Isn't it? Don't we all beg for them to say the right words? Dad, the Cardinals are the best. I mean, I mean, all the things that matter most. We just want our kid, and we celebrate 
as they talk. And I think we should also be celebrating when we learn to talk. And you know what I mean by talking? It's not talking about ourselves. It's that we begin to tell the story of Jesus, that we learned how to talk like that, that we lean into others to hear their story, but they lean into us because they want to hear about Christ. So we look at a baby and we're like, well, yeah, of course, that's obvious. Well, it should be obvious for us to do the same thing for others. So when people say, I really want to follow Jesus, let's do everything we can to help them follow Jesus. One of my, um, I share four different heroes that I have in the faith, and one is a a gentleman who passed away a few years ago. His name is Howard Hendricks, who mentored uh, just some amazing leaders. And I can't tell you how many leaders will say they spent time with Howard Hendricks and he changed their life. Um, Amazing teacher and writer. And uh, at the end of his life, they said this may be the last sermon or lesson that he ever taught. I want you to listen to his words. I absolutely love this. Howard Hendricks explained life in one of his very last messages. He said this, The amazing thing, my friend, is not that you die. The amazing thing is that we live. You see, we think that we're in the land of the living on the way to the land of the dying. Oh, my friend, nothing could be further from the biblical truth. You are in the land of the dying, but you're on your way to the land of the living. That's why we do what we do. Because we believe that this earth is a short-term deal. That we give our lives to Jesus Christ. Why do we give our lives to Jesus Christ? Because it's what? Eternal. And when somebody is lost, that our prayer is not that they find a church. It's that they find Jesus Christ. It's why we all do what we do. Every day when we wake up, we should say, Lord, you've given me one more day. Thank you. You've given me one more day. Thank you. And if there's one person, Lord, one person today that you put in my path and they are searching, Lord, help me to be the kind of person that will help them find their way to you. Why? Because Jesus Christ will change their life because he changed our life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we want to be just like those early disciples. Uh, we just we want to ask those, those same questions. We want to follow you. We want to draw so close to you because you, amazingly, you want to draw close to us. So, Lord, I just pray that we will have a heartbeat for those who need you. And, Lord, there may be somebody here today, and this is the decision that they're wrestling with, that they desperately want to find you. So, Lord, help us do whatever we can to be a home for people They're trying to find their way back to God. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.